so today, <clears throat> after much discussion, uh, I want to present a Buddhist sutta from the Pali Canon, translated by Tanisara Bhikkhu, that I spoke about uh, briefly before uh, in the talk called On Purity, where I compared uh, Nityananda's view and a Christian New Testament view and uh, this Buddhist sutta's view on purity. Uh, I want to go back into this. It's called Rata Vinita Sutta uh, about relay chariots. And it's really about um, the successive stages of uh, mental spiritual development associated with purity and how the purpose of taking any step is to complete that step. And the purpose of any important achievement is first to make that achievement, which inevitably then will become the basis for a greater achievement. And one can look at one's life or one's history that way too. Uh, I made a certain decision when I was a certain age to go a certain way, and that led me to another position in life, and I was changed in various ways thereby, and some of that experience was positive, and I made some mistakes, but I also learned some things, and it got me to a different place. Uh, that's the notion of relay chariots, or going from one place to another by a series of stages. And so, let me just read uh, this, let me read uh, some of the paragraphs from the start to the finish, but not uh, not continuously with some commentary in the middle. Uh, read from the start of this sutta. This uh, Rata Vinita Sutta from Majjhima Nikaya, the page I gave you, uh, translated by Tanisara Bhikkhu. Uh, bear in mind the, the, the principles here <coughs> being purity, and um, sequential development. So it begins, I have heard, or thus have I heard, that on one occasion the Blessed One, Gautama, was stay, staying near Rajagaha, also called Rajagraha, or the Vulture's Peak, in the bamboo grove, the squirrel sanctuary, then a number of monks from his native land, Magadha, having completed the rains retreat in that native land, went to the Blessed One and arrival having bowed down to him, sat to one side. And that's the typical formal greeting of that time. And, and that's an important <laughs> matter of respecting uh, teaching, or respecting a teacher. Um, it certainly is important to have a respectful attitude towards teaching that can help us. Uh, and that's sort of receptivity of mind and appreciation for the value of uh, true spiritual teaching. Going on, as they were sitting there, the Blessed One said to them, Monks, whom in our native land do the native land monks, companions in the holy life, esteem in this way? Meaning, who do you esteem? Or who do you value uh, in, your, in, in that area, Magadha, I think it is, uh, where you're from? <clears throat> and in many ways, he's talking about himself, or uh, how it is that a true teacher... Uh, is helpful to the community. 
And so, who do you esteem in this way? And he says, having few wants himself, he gives talks to the monks on the fewness of wants. Contented himself, he gives talks to the monks on contentment. Secluded himself, he give talk, gives talks to the monks on seclusion. Unentangled himself, he gives talks on non-entanglement. Having aroused persistence in himself, he give talk, gives talks to the monks on arousing persistence. Consummate in his own virtue, and then I'll go on, consummate in his own concentration. Consummate in his own discernment. Consummate in his own release. Consummate in his own knowledge and vision of release. He gives talks to the monks on becoming consummate in the knowledge and vision of release. He is one who exhorts, informs, instructs, urges, rouses, and encourages his companions in the holy life. Meaning, who do you respect? And this is also a principle. There is also a principle revealed here. Um, we we teach best what we've learned well. What we learned well, we can teach best. Teach best um, if we're not in some formal position really means we can help others only to the extent we've helped ourselves. And uh, there are, we should be honest um, with ourselves, uh, acknowledging when we haven't learned something so well or we're still in the process of figuring things out. And it's not just an intellectual learning here. It's about um, transformed living. And so what are we looking at here? Uh, starting at having few wants, uh, naturally having few material desires, material social desires. That's an achievement. And people can force themselves to be austere or live without or make, them ima make themselves imagine, I only have spiritual desires, I don't want anything worldly. If it's fake, one's hurting oneself and um, one can see that. I mean, one can see the, the hollowness of some types of uh, professed spirituality some people show. Uh, on the other hand, it is a real achievement that comes with time from the development of green, blue, indigo, from clearance of lower triad blockages, from a deeper understanding of the three marks, uh, impermanence, insubstantiality, stress, from a continued... Uh, commitment to equanimity and samadhi and uh, living with love and wisdom and seeing truth even when it's painful and realizing life is spiritual path. From all that development comes naturally having few wants. Few wants comes naturally, actually. A reduction of desire. And that reduction of desire is critical actually for continued growth or um, one and also the the not binding oneself in in self harming ways karmically, or karmic bad seeding, making bad karmic seeds. Uh, it's very hard to not make trouble when a person's full of desires. Uh, the more desires, the more we get into trouble. Meanwhile, Ross said, you know, the proper role for the entity in third density is to experience all things desired. Okay, so putting a Buddhist understanding. That, that indicates the supremacy of freedom from desire into relation to Ra's teaching that uh, talks about the value of desire and third density 
or the the inevitable necessity of facing honestly accepting our desires and then making some decision am i going to act it out physically to try to acquire in the physical social world or will i um, stay with this mentally and accept it and let it die by not acting upon it or will i try to play it out imaginatively uh, there's much to be said uh, actually about um, desire and the path so the the first <laughs> the just the gate entry here uh, of one that Gautama is asking about who would be somebody that is esteemed in the holy life or esteemed for their development uh, the the gate opening here is simply um, a, is a very common commonly spoken or meaning <clears throat> it seems very simple but it's really a big deal it, it seems kind of ordinary but it's really a big deal uh, this achievement or this condition of having few wants himself and uh, there's much more to be said about that so <clears throat> where it starts is a person who naturally um, is is not full of desire uh, but you often have to experience lots of desires and their consequences and distill love and light to be to get to that point. And so that's the natural path of uh, moving towards reduced desire uh, by having experienced uh, many desires and the consequences uh, happy and sad. And then beyond that <clears throat> comes contentment. It's very hard to have contentment when one has lots of wants and desires but naturally having fewer wants and desires meaning more and more well as is is contentment himself contented with one's being or with one's life that often leads to seclusion yeah and then seclusion is is not any kind of uh, panacea uh, for trouble, but it's often, certainly on the spiritual path, it's critical to make peace with solitude. Like Ross said, wisdom is a rather lonely matter. The development of blue ray requires a lot of time alone, at least a lot of time in, in contemplation of what's going on here, trying to figure things out. And so then that goes to uh, unentangled, unentanglement, non-entanglement. And these four are very closely related. Uh, having developed oneself to the natural point usually over many incarnations of uh, joy and sorrow fulfilling desires seeking to fulfill desires and getting lots of joy and sorrow or uh, pain and pleasure one gets to naturally fewer or far decreased desires if you want that interplays with contentment somebody needs to mute uh, that contentment with oneself or one's life as is naturally tends towards seclusion because uh, involve you know social involvement, social entanglement, or social uh, deep social involvement is is associated with uh, desires, <laughs> and so mm, those that are secluded, some of them not all, but some, uh, may simply uh, not uh, see, may simply see the pitfalls of society 
and the pitfalls of all sorts of desires, or have finished with all sorts of desires, and are naturally comfortable alone. And that also leads to unentanglement, or non, not establishing greater entanglement with people and situations. And again, that's not to be slapped onto oneself, oh, I've got to be spiritual, but <clears throat> uh, there is a very close, th this is sort of a mandala here, few desires and contentment, seclusion and non-entanglement. Uh, then, in that contented seclusion with naturally few desires, uh, the next stage, next set of stages associated with arousing persistence. Arousing persistence means effort and perseverance to go into and continue with that which is valuable for my own continued development. That may include teaching or helping others in some way. It may include seclusion or, or remain in seclusion. Persistence, which is effortfulness, and Ra talked about, I mean, the, the primary, this is obviously not going to finish in one hour, so. <laughs> okay, we have next week's talk, which will be part two of Rata Vinita Sutta. Uh, um, first of all, persistence being uh, stable, continuing effort or the direction of will towards achieving or doing that which is valuable. It could be painting, or it could be meditating, it could be study, it could be exercise, all sorts of things. Uh, persisting in what brings benefit. Uh, that then, um, and Ra talked about the discipline of understanding. And so, rather than uh, persistent rather than understand one can understand persistence and effort not only in terms of bodily activity or performance of some activity but also mental activity and persistence of of a seek a, a kind of mental spiritual seeking like understanding whatever comes up whatever I'm going through I really want to understand it whatever I'm going through happy sad well or unwell I want to understand it uh, the people in front of me, my partner, my boss, the situation. I want to understand it. And how am I feeling? I want to be honest. So I want to be honest, and I want to feel or know what I'm feeling, and I want to see what's in front of me, and I want to see my own process pretty well, at least well enough to get out of confusion, uh, and make good decisions. That's another kind of persistence. It's a persistence in um, mental spiritual seeking and knowing. Then, that persistence will lead to um, becoming the, these, the, the series of consummations. <laughs> this is just the first paragraph. So, uh, this, is an un, this is a very careful, hopefully, or a very detailed unpacking, line by line, of the sutta, which I think it deserves. It's um, profound. And we read so much and often gleans a little, uh, we don't assimilate uh, as well as we can, and that's why I like this sort of line-by-line -line approach. So, from the mandala of a natural achievement over time of 
uh, fewer desires comes or is associated with greater contentment with oneself and life as is comes naturally um, a greater non-involvement with society and therefore seclusion and that itself when one is continuing with the discipline of understanding uh, is unentangling that um, condition which in many ways is the result of shila, right? Shila samadhi prajna. That's what we're looking at here. <clears throat> the um, these three basic pillars of Buddhism: shila, virtue, morality, ethics, right action, right view. You know, all the eight, the eight rights, the eightfold path, being shila. Then goes to samadhi or mental development, mental spiritual mind training then goes to prajna wisdom which is really insight and um, the later stages knowledge and vision of release that's what we're looking at with these in this this initial introductory um, sequence of development here in this first main paragraph so in the mandala of um, contented seclusion moderately unentangled committed to continued mental spiritual transformation, which is arousing persistence, then one achieves consummations, meaning gets to a perfected level, which obviously I'm not at, but I can <laughs> get some sense of what Gautama's talking about, consummate in virtue, which is Shila, meaning really harmless, and really committed, uh, really well settled in green-blue Perspec- uh, the green-blue way of living. <laughs> I'm a green-blue living. And that's really um, very, very comfortable with unconditional acceptance as the default state of mind. That doesn't mean I let everything continue if it's abusive or harmful, but I uh, wish to see what is and know what is and feel what arises and face reality without manipulation, denial, and distortion. That's a, a commitment to to love wisdom. Uh, so consummate then the consummations of virtue, which I would say is love wisdom, and then concentration, and then we're getting into samadhi. Um, from virtue goes to concentration, goes to discernment. That's shila samadhi prajna. Shila virtue, samadhi concentration, prajna discernment. But this whole this whole sequence here is actually about those three. Now we see what comes from prajna or insight or realization, or what the fruits of deeper meditation and insight are all about from a Buddhist perspective. Uh, from this discernment or prajna wisdom, seeing, knowing, beyond just the personal, uh, comes. Um, release and increasing release uh, supported by knowledge and vision of release and it's interesting how release comes before the knowledge and vision of it one is free one one achieves stages of freedom before one can understand it (laughs) Uh, one has a gnosis before one can talk about it uh, breakthrough precedes conceptualization, and so one 
one uh, one arrives in a in a at a transformed state before one can talk about it and talking about it is not the same as having arrived there and so people sometimes fool themselves thinking that they can be talking about achievement as a substitute for achievement or talking deeply about achievement equals achievement no the the nature of achievement like here release <clears throat> is um beyond the five skandhas it's beyond uh, conceptualizing conceptualizing it precedes conceptualizing uh, one arrives and then one talks about that arrival one opens or is freed somewhat or stages of freedom and then final freedom and then one can talk about it so <clears throat> first there's release uh, then there's knowledge and vision of that release <clears throat> and then one's finished <laughs> and that's the end of the line and so this is the release of nibbana nir- nirvana the end of the path going on uh <clears throat> the monks that are with him then basically repeat what gotama said in the reverse saying lord the monk named punya matani putta matani's putta or son is esteemed by the native land monks from where gotama's home base home was his companions in the holy life in this way <clears throat> and then goes through that same sequence explaining that this monk punya matani putta um, is understood as having achieved all this sequence of development <clears throat> and then uh, going on now at that time venerable sariputra putta was sitting not far from the blessed one the thought occurred to him it's a gain, a great gain for Venerable Punya Matani Putta. So obviously he's a Buddhist monk. That his knowledgeable companions in the holy life, the, monk, the monks that are talking to Gautama now, speak his praise point by point in the presence of the teacher, <coughs> Gautama, and that the teacher seconds that praise, meaning that's great. Maybe sometime or other I too will go to meet with him, Venerable Punya Matani Putta. Maybe I'll have some conversation with him. And so <clears throat> Sariputta gets this idea. It's wonderful that his companions talk of him this way. It's wonderful this monk has such achievement. Uh, I'd like to go meet that guy someday. <clears throat> Going on. Then the Blessed One, having stayed at Rajagaha as long as he liked, set out wandering to Savati. Wandering by stages, he arrived there and stayed in Jetta's Grove, Jetawana, Anattapindika's monastery. Then, in his own place, Venerable Punya Mataniputta, the one that the companions were speaking of, heard that, <laughs> that the Blessed One is in Savati at Anattapindika's monastery. Setting his lodgings in order and taking his robes and bowl, he set out wandering to Savati. Also, wandering by stages, uh, he went to where the Blessed One was staying in Jetta's Grove. On arrival, having bound down bowed down to the Blessed One, he sat to one side. As he was sitting there, the Blessed One instructed, urged, roused, and encouraged him with the Dhamma talk. Then Venerable Punya instructed, urged, roused, and encouraged with the Blessed One's Dhamma talk, delighting and approving of the Blessed One's words, got up from his seat, bowed down to the Blessed One, circumambulated, circumambulated him, meaning walk around, you walk with your right side in, 
to the center point that you're going around clockwise, and went to the grove of the blind for the day's abiding, meaning um, doing meditation uh, during the day. Then, <clears throat> a certain monk, so, so Gautama has moved location, and um, this monk, Venerable Punya, heard about it and has gone to meet him. And then another monk goes to Sariputta and on arrival says to him, Friend Sariputta, the monk named Punya Mataniputta, whom you have so often praised, dot, 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 has gotten up from his seat, bowed down to the Blessed One, circumambulated him, and gone to the grove of the blind for the day's abiding. So Sariputta is told that this monk Mataniputta is nearby Gautama, and knows that Sariputta wanted to see him. So Sariputta quickly picked up a sitting cloth, followed right behind Venerable Punya, keeping his head in sight, so he caught up to him. Maybe he flew some part of the distance. Punya, Venerable Punya, plunged into the grove of the blind and sat in the shade of a tree for the day's abiding, meaning <laughs> sitting in, in samadhi all day. Venerable, so you can see how <laughs> this is a very different kind of community than we see in this world today, including in Buddhist countries and Buddhist sanghas today. They basically don't do work. Uh, they're not hoeing the fields. They're not cleaning the kitchen or cleaning the floor. Uh, they listen to Dhamma talks. They do extensive meditation. They give some Dhamma talks if they're uh, capable. They go in the morning you know, to get alms, eat the lunch, <laughs> sit down, have some Dhamma talking, and go hours into Samadhi day and night. And that's that. So it was a very special special group of souls that incarnated around Gautama. So <clears throat> Sariputta follows Venerable Punya. They're both in this grove of the blind. They're both sitting for the day's abiding. Uh, and that's the set, the setup for the scene here. Then in the evening, Venerable Shariputta arose from his seclusion, went on to Venerable Punya. On arrival, he exchanged courteous greetings with him. After an exchange of friendly greetings and courtesies, he sat to one side. As he was sitting there, he said to Venerable Punya, My friend, is the holy life lived under the Blessed One? Meaning, are you a monk under Gautama? Yes, my friend. And now we have a series of questions that Sariputta asks that Punya re, uh, refutes or basically, you know, avers or states that are un, not so. He answers with no, 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 my friend. So what are the series of no's? And this is where we get into um, the heart of the teaching about sequential transformation and the purpose of each sequence, the purpose of each step or stage of development being its own accomplishment but naturally leading to a further development. And this is a very subtle point. I'll, I'll talk about why, why. We know that, right? You go from one to... If you're going from one to ten, you go one to two to three to four and so on. <clears throat> uh, the purpose of going from one to two is not to go from one to ten, but it's to go from one to two. Knowing that when one is at two, one will go to three on the way to ten. So... My goal is to get to 10, but I have to go stepwise, stage by stage. Uh, <clears throat> and I, and I, one shouldn't get ahead of oneself. <laughs> uh, 
or one should uh, realize that it's uh, one step at a time, right? I mean, mindfulness in the moment is for mindfulness in the moment, and mindfulness in the moment will lead to greater mindfulness in the next moment if one stays with it. So, there here begins the series of questions from Sariputta to Venerable Punya that he refutes. Is the holy life lived under the Blessed One for the sake of purity in terms of virtue? No. Is it lived for the sake of purity in terms of mind or concentration? No. And so, if the first is, uh, do you live, do, we, do you follow Gautama for the sake of Shila? No. For the sake of Samadhi? No. Is the holy life lived under the Blessed One for the sake of purity? Meaning, tell me about purity. What's purity all about? And is it, defi- is it equated with any of these specifics? Purity in terms of view, pure view? No. Purity in terms of overcoming perplexity? No. Purity in terms of knowledge and vision of what is and is not the path? No. Purity in terms of knowledge and vision of the way? No. Purity in terms of knowledge and vision? No. <laughs> so, why are you uh, living the holy life under the Blessed One? Why are you a Buddhist monk? And what kind of se- what kind of purity are we talking about here? What is purity? Gautama, you know, may have used the word purity, and I'm not sure what the Pali is here. Um, <clears throat> these are important. It, it's not that these are not un- unimportant. They're all important, but. Um, the way it's understood that I'm living as a Buddhist monk or I'm doing this practice to get purity in terms of that or this, that whole, that, that way of understanding is mistaken. And so it's corrected down below. So Sariputta then, after ref- being refuted on all these points, says, when asked if the holy life live, is lived under the Blessed One for the sake of purity in terms of virtue, and all of these other important developments, you say, no, my friend, um, for the sake of what, then, my friend, is the holy life lived under the Blessed One? Meaning, why are you doing it if, presumably, you're not living the holy life or you're not um, committed to the way of self-transformation, the Buddhist path of self-transformation, if you're not committed for purity in terms of those achievements, what are you doing? What are you doing it for? What's your point? Why is the holy life lived? And it's just a nuanced answer because those um, achievements are all important, or purity of virtue and getting out of perplexity. All of that's very important. It's just um, not quite understood um, properly. So he says. The holy life is lived under the Blessed One, my friend, for the sake of total unbinding through lack of clinging. Clinging is upadana. And that comes from lack of craving, which is uh, tanha. Uh, clinging being particularly uh, attachment to sensual desires, uh, spiritual practices, rites and rituals, uh, views, uh, of, uh, views of self, uh, and um, achievements itself, uh, not clinging to higher states as well. 
So he's really saying the holy life is lived for the goal of the holy life. But those stages of development are important too. And then he says, and then Shariputta questions that, since those stages are all important to get to the goal, um, why why are you saying no, uh, one through nine is not important, only ten is important, when you can't get to ten without one through nine? Some sense of that. You, you can't uh, make uh, a beautiful dish if you don't put the ingredients in or if you discount the ingredients or reject the ingredients you can't get a final product and so that that little subtle point is questioned so <clears throat> Sariputta is saying well but is purity in terms of the virtue of total unbinding is purity in terms of virtue total unbinding through lack of clinging <laughs> Meaning, he goes to the first step in terms of purity of virtue, and said, "Isn't that the same?" And uh, Punya says, "No, my friend." Then, and he asks further. Then, is purity of terms purity in terms of mind and view, overcoming perplexity, coming to knowledge and vision of what is and what is not the path? And these are all, and I'll explain them next class, as I did a little bit in the previous talk on purity. These constituents or stages to achieve total unbinding through lack of clinging. Uh, each is important, but achieving purity in any one of them is not the purpose of um, not the purpose of the path. They're stages of the path. Uh, and so Sariputta asks that, is that isn't it true that purity in terms of mind or view, getting beyond confusion, perplexity, knowledge and vision of what's what what is and isn't the path, knowledge and vision of the way, which is different. Um, knowledge and vision, isn't that the same as total unbinding, or, or what are we talking about here? And he says, no. Uh, then, <laughs> then, of course, in a typical Buddhist way, um, the, the back slap comes in, and he asks, then is total unbinding through lack of clinging something apart from these qualities? Is it the same as these qualities? No. <clears throat> is it apart from these qualities? No. Okay. So, <laughs> things are not as they appear, nor are they otherwise. <laughs> the path is um, relative and absolute. There are stages of path from a relative perspective, and there's no path from an absolute perspective, as best as we can talk about it. Okay, so the goal is not the same nor is it apart from the qualities or stages. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so, then he goes through that whole thing, saying, you keep saying no, and then you say, when I'm asking, is it the same, and you say no, when I ask, if it, is it apart, or the goal is apart from the stages or qualities, you say no. Now, how, my friend, is the meaning of these statements to be understood? Uh... <clears throat> And I, I assume uh, this is Punya responding, and here it gets a little heavy. Uh, quote, if the Blessed One, and so this is for the people who are still here after an hour, if the Blessed One had described purity in terms of virtue as total unbinding through lack of clinging, my friend, then he would have defined something still accompanied by clinging as total unbinding through lack of clinging. And 
likewise with all the other stages or qualities, purity in terms of mind and view, without perplexity, knowledge, vision, what is and isn't the path or the way. Um, if <clears throat> that, that these qualities or stages um, still involve clinging, they're not yet total unbinding. Uh, and so the final par final sentence in that paragraph is, it may be confusing, but if total unbinding through lack of clinging, meaning nirvana, eighth density, unbinding from all uh, all interest in mind and incarnation and rebirth and a phenomenal experience, actually. <laughs> total unbinding means um, absolute freedom from any restlessness that leads to any conceived sense of self, that leads to any longing or interest in incarnation or phenomena or consciousness even, even beyond consciousness, okay? Beyond any interest in subjectivity or definition. <laughs> All right, so it's super radical. That's why Buddhism is not appreciated by many because the goal is is really super radical in in just trying to conceive of what it means what total unbinding means but his his uh, the punchline here <laughs> is if total unbinding through lack of clinging were apart from these qualities then a run of the mill person would be totally unbound meaning um, in as much as a run of the mill an ordinary person is apart from these qualities um, it's a little, it's all Indian philosophy here. Uh, total unbinding through lack of clinging in, is being neither apart from these nor the same as these. He's saying if it were apart, then ordinary people would be completely awakened because uh, what? They don't have those qualities of development, so therefore they'd have total unbinding. That's a little strange. So an ordinary person doesn't have those qualities, so there they're called unbound. This is just some kind of logical, tricky, tricky trick. But uh, <clears throat> he gives an analogy. <laughs> and the analogy, uh, meaning I don't think this is a very potent argument to say uh, total unbinding or the end of the goal, the end of the path, um, is neither apart from the qualities nor the same as the qualities because if it's apart from the qualities then ordinary people who don't have those qualities would be totally unbound well that doesn't even totally logically it's not necessary but it's a, it just this is another reason people stay out of these suttas because some of it gets uh, hyper complex but then he gives an analogy and this is where we will and um, in sense of the in presentation of this analogy and moving towards the conclusion here, he said, "So, my friend, I'll give you an analogy. For there are cases where it's through analogies that knowledgeable people can understand the meaning of what's being said." Um, and also, his logic was not convincing. Suppose that while King Pasenadi Kosala was staying at Savati, some urgent business were to arise at Saketa and that between Savati and Saketa, seven relay chariots were made ready. Coming out of the door of the inner palace at Savati, he gets in the first relay chariot. By means of the first relay chariot, he'd reach the second. 
getting out of the first, he gets into the second chariot. By means of the second, he goes to the third, the third, the fourth, the fourth, the fifth, the fifth, the sixth, the sixth, he gets to the seventh. Getting out of the sixth, he gets to the seventh. By means of the seventh, he finally gets to the door of the inner palace, okay? So that's how taking relay chariots works. And then, <laughs> as he arrived there, so goes on Punya, his friends and companions, relatives and kin, would ask him, Great king, did you come from Savati to the door of the inner palace and Saketa by means of this chariot? He'd say, no, not by this chariot, but by a series of chariots. Answering, in what way, my friend, would King Pasenadi Kosala answer them correctly? And I guess this is Shariputta replying, or he answers his own question. Answering in this way, he'd answer them correctly, just now, and then he goes through the whole thing, saying how he was in Savati, urgent business arose in another place, he got into seven chariots, out of one to the next, to the next, to the next, okay. So that answers correctly. And the, the potent <laughs> paragraph that I will end on today and pick up first next time is the next, which is this point. In the same way, my friend, uh, Venerable Punya goes on, purity in terms of virtue is simply for the sake of purity in terms of mind. Meaning, you achieve one stage to get to the next stage, that's it. Because one stage is not the whole work. Or the work is achieved by a succession of stages or developments of qualities. And that seems kind of simplistic, but um, it's humbling <laughs> for the arrogant, or um, a, 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 a humble, honest recognition of the nature of the path includes a sense that I'm just taking step by step, and uh, I'm not going to beat myself up because I'm not finished. I have a long way. I mean, even a six-density wanderer has a long way. The way ever never ends. There is there there is a long way because there's no death, even from the octave. Gautama still goes on out of eighth density to ninth, to the next. You know, continuing the uh, progression in the next octave. It never ends. So, of course, you have a lot of time. And, of course, the work is never finished. Meanwhile, it becomes less and less heavy, felt, obligated, binding, felt work, and more and more uh, effortless as one progresses. So, in terms of these stages, purity in terms of virtue, Sheila, is for the sake of purity in terms of mind. And that's, <laughs> I could spend an hour on that, um, virtue and mental state, shila, harmlessness, non, um, you know, right speech, right action, right livelihood, so important for the state of mind. So you see lots of folks that have lots of money, and they're a mess mentally because they don't know virtue. Doesn't mean they're bad, but they don't know virtue. What is virtue? Right? It ain't. The, it ain't the possession of Christianity or any religion. It's associated with lots of religious teaching, or lots of religious teaching includes the teaching of morality. What is it? What is it? What is it? It's very important to know. <laughs> what is purity in terms of virtue? What is virtue? So anyway, 
purity in terms of virtue is for the sake of purity in terms of mind for its own sake it naturally achieves um, the next stage or a, a next level and so <clears throat> purity in virtue which essentially for most folks is right speech right action leads to what could be called a purified mind which is particularly a mind whose default condition or default preference is green blue indigo is um, peace open heart seeing clearly and a commitment to that then purity in terms of mind is for the sake of purity in terms of view and so without <laughs> without <clears throat> and this is really why I wanted to read the sutta again is because this paragraph should be unpacked it, it deserves uh, massive commentary uh, <clears throat> and I won't do it all today but we'll end on this and then pick it up here next time purity of virtue going to purity in terms of mind purity in terms of mind is for the sake simply of purity in terms of view meaning how you view self and other and world and path purity in terms of view right view is for the sake of purity in terms of overcoming perplexity so the purpose of right view is to overcome perplexity meaning you answer your questions your questions are answered or your essential questions are answered but that depends on virtue <laughs> and so um, each one of these is critical critically important to understand in daily life or for our lives so purity of view why for the sake of under, uh, overcoming perplexity, getting beyond confusion, basic confusion, answering one's essential questions. Purity in terms of overcoming perplexity is for the sake of purity in terms of knowledge and vision of what is and is not the path, meaning what's to my benefit and what's not. What is the nature of spiritual path? You know, anybody can say, oh, unity is great, unity, joy, love, but you just can't get there. Those are goals. Those are not ways of achieving a goal. I mean, you can say, yeah, love is the path and love is the goal. Sure, but what is love? So, meaning it's important to know these well. And that's why in, beyond knowledge and vision of what is and isn't the path is knowledge and vision of what is the way. <laughs> knowledge and vision of the way. So the way is not the same as the path. Mm. That's strange. Then, knowledge and vision of the way is simply for the sake of purity in terms of knowledge and vision. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, it's going beyond knowledge and vision of something, or something that is and something that isn't, or seeing what the path is and what it isn't, to knowledge of what is the way, which is much more internal. <clears throat> then, beyond that, what is the nature of the seer? there's the seer and the scene we pull out of knowing the scene to trying to know the knower which is what is the nature of knowledge and vision itself what is purity of knowledge and vision it's not conceptual it's experiential purity in terms of knowledge and vision is simply for the sake of total unbinding through lack of clinging meaning the end of the way the end of the path nirvana 
and it's for the sake of total unbinding through lack of clinging, the goal, or nirvana, that the holy life is lived under the Blessed One. And that's, <clears throat> that's the pith teaching and the core of importance in this sutta. So next time, <laughs> for anybody who's still here, uh, I'm going to pick up uh, where we left off here, this paragraph, which I think is the heart of Rata Vinita Sutta. Uh, what are the stages of purity? How, what, how do they depend on each other? And uh, what, what is sequential development? I mean, this is basically, this paragraph shows the heart or, or a, a distilled understanding of the Buddhist path. This is the Buddhist path. And it's not different than a deep understanding of the Eightfold Noble Path, um, the Eight Samas and Rites, which do, you know, don't, are, are <clears throat> the constituents of um, virtue <laughs> and samadhi, or Shila Samadhi Prajna. So anyway... It's reviewed to some degree, but I think it's a deeper unpacking. I hope it's been helpful. Uh, next time we'll pick up right here. I uh, hope you're well. Take good care of yourselves, and good night. <laughs>